To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So today on the podcast, I have on Cable Smith from Lone Star Outdoors. So Lone Star Outdoors is a hugely successful podcast based out of Texas. And I was introduced to Cable by the Eastmans as he's a friend. And um, man, I as I get to know this guy, I really like him. So Cable, he's not afraid to talk over those hot button topics. He's not afraid to throw his hat in the ring and really stick up for us hunters, stick up for us gun owners, and he's got this great perspective and argument. Like I, you know, after I had him on the podcast, I followed his social media and, and saw him like talking about predator hunting and predator control. And he's just really well spoken and makes great points. Uh, so he's a huge advocate for us hunters, uh, for us gun owners. And I really enjoyed getting to know him on the podcast. And I think you guys will too. I want to thank our sponsors for today's show. I want to thank Zamberlin Boots. Uh, so Zamberlin builds the highest quality boots I've ever used. So I use their uh, 320 Trail Light Evo GTX, and um, man, it's just a great boot. I've used it for two seasons. Uh, it's still waterproof. They've still held up. They've got Vibram soles, and that's a, a low-height uh, hiking boot that comes in at right around three pounds. Uh, so I've really enjoyed using those, and you guys have probably also heard me talk about using their, their tennis shoe. So I love hunting in shoes. I love the the feel of being able to stalk. I love being lightweight as a pound on the foot is like 10 on the back. And so I've always been able to, to hike and hunt in these trail shoes. Um, but, but Zamberlin ha- has come and totally redesigned their trail hiking shoe. So they sent me a prototype of these, and I have fallen madly in love with them. So they're the 215 Saluth GTX RR. Um, they're like a cross between, uh, a running shoe and a boot. So, um, they're fairly stiff, but you can feel the ground. They've got a Vibram sole that are super grippy on them and they're totally and absolutely waterproof. Uh, so they've just been an awesome shoe for me. I've been breaking them in. I'm going to use them this entire season. So this won't be the last you hear of these things. Uh, they come in at under two pounds a pair. Let me say that again, under two pounds a pair for waterproof hiking shoes. Um, so they're awesome. Check them out. 215 Saluth GTX RR. They're going to be a great hunting shoe. Uh, they also came up with a 214 Half Dome Velcro RR, which is another hiking shoe that's done with Velcro. Velcro. And I really like their tightening system on these to get them nice and tight. And, and they're going to be an awesome shoe as well. So uh, I'm just so excited for Zamberlin to start to design these these hiking shoes from scratch um, because that's what I love to wear and what I love to hunt in. And uh, so if, if you're like me and you like those lighter weight shoes, make sure to check them out. They're absolutely awesome. I also want to thank a brand new sponsor for us, Black Rifle Coffee. Um, so Black Rifle, I used them the entire season this year, and and their instant coffee is unmatched. Now, I've used other brands that start with an S. 
Um, and and it just um, it doesn't make the best coffee. My guts don't feel the best after I'm done. But this instant coffee made by Black Rifle Coffee Company is just absolutely amazing. So used it the entire season, used it fishing. I'd use it at my house. They also have another instant coffee that they make a tea bag that you drop into your coffee and pull in and out. I'm not sure which one I like better. They're both such high-quality coffee that I could go with any of them. And I'm the guy that used to pack a French press with me everywhere I went and fresh coffee just because I like quality coffee. Not anymore. I can use this instant. I can use those tea bags. And then they also make the best coffee in the industry. Um, so I, I just signed up for um, to, to be on a subscription to get their coffee. And I just like supporting good companies that support us. And Black Rifle Coffee Company, they're veteran-owned. Uh, they support veterans. And, and then... You know that Evan Hafer, he's he's just a he's a coffee nut. He knows coffee inside and out, and so you know they they've come up with just the best blends and the best tasting coffee. So I'm super excited to get that, and I'm super excited to be partnered with Black Rifle Coffee Company, as uh, I I think they they make the best outdoor coffee going. So uh, if you're thinking about your coffee for this season check them out um that instant is unreal the coffee bags are unreal like i say so i'm just so happy to be partnered with them and bring them on to the podcast all right with that man just looking forward to bear season here we're getting closer we're um two weeks away uh so getting excited getting all my gear set up i've been fishing here lately make sure to check out my other fly fishing podcasts if you're interested in that eastman's Flycast, everywhere you can find podcasts and um, check out everything we do over there. The magazines, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal uh, videos. You can search us Eastman's Hunting TV on YouTube, Eastman's Hunting TV on the Outdoor Channel. And uh, I still have a couple episodes that'll be coming out here this year. A uh, couple high country mule deer, or one high country mule deer hunt, and then one one rut uh, mule deer hunt with our bows. So um, those should be some good shows. They'll be coming out here. And um, also make sure to check out our internet research tool, TagHub. I've been using TagHub now uh, this season, uh, started past season or, or last season, uh, but it just keeps getting better. There's so much information in there, and they've evolved the program, and it really helps me understand these Western states, Western tags, opportunities available, and there's just so much data to, to sort through. And we're doing specials with this TagHub where when you purchase TagHub, you get a a membership or a subscription to both Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal. Uh, they've got gifts that they're giving away, raffles. Uh, they're even giving away a couple hunts. So uh, if you like traveling around and hunting these different western states, uh, pick up a membership to Eastman's Tag Hub. And with that, let's get this podcast rolling. So this is a great conversation. Cable Smith, Lone Star Outdoors, uh, Eastman's Elevated. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go. Okay, I'm live this morning. I've got Cable from Lone Star Outdoors. Uh, man, it's really nice to meet you, Cable. Thanks for coming on. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Certainly yeah. appreciate it. Uh, we were just talking before the podcast, but uh, congratulations on all your success of the the radio show and the podcast. Man, that you built a, a really good following and uh, built a really good brand. That's really neat to see. Well, I appreciate that, and uh, certainly all that is a testament to the listeners and their support, so appreciate them. 
like I'm sure you appreciate your listeners. Oh my gosh, do I ever? Um, yeah, I mean, they don't listen. The, there's no show, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly it. They're the absolute backbone of the show, and I I'm so humbled by the support and us being podcast hosts or radio hosts like you are. Uh, it's wild because these people really get to know your personality and who you are, the ins and outs, and they become your friend even though I've never met them. And so I'll run into people that have listened to hundreds of hours of my audio and know you know, about my family and my hunting and my life and the way it works and have this connection with me that I've never met. So I, I always consider it like I'm, like I'm just making all these friends out there I haven't met yet. Yeah, it's a great feeling to – walk up to someone at a, a trade show or a lot of times they approach you because they they recognize you and they say oh hey man I've, I've listened to uh so many episodes or i really like this one specific conversation or this one topic um it's kind of a affirmation that um you know there's a, a beneficial it's a beneficial thing that you're doing so uh, validates your work so to speak yeah i always think uh uh, boy, people really aren't listening to this show. <laughs> it's like a <laughs> proof of it, you know? Um, yeah, it, it's great. And gosh, we've got this great audience too, as I'm sure you do, that, um, you know, really uh, stand behind uh, what's right in the world and what's right uh, with hunting and, and things of that nature and, and just a real supportive group of guys. And I, it's always amazing, like um, hunting secrets and hunting spots and, and people keep those pretty close to their chest. But, you know, some of my listeners will hear I'm hunting in New Mexico or I'm hunting in Idaho and they'll drop a line and say, hey, have you checked out this spot? Or, hey, if you're in this area, uh, you, you know, I've, I've seen deer here. Like people are, are uh, willing to share information and, and help me out and help the whole community of listeners out. It's just great. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. It seemed like uh, 10 or 15 years ago, people were more secretive. Like, you you know, I don't know if you ever got on, like, hunting forums or if you still do, but, like, duck hunters seem to be the worst. Like, they don't – if you mention a public lake, you're, like, shamed. Like, why would you ever say that out loud, you know? Like, it's it's a secret. Uh, but I think that we are kind of getting away from that, um, which is a, it's a good thing, hunters being more open to helping each other out. Yeah, I think so too. Um, like, did you ever see anyone say Lake X? Like, they didn't want to say like <laughs> the name of the lake they were hunting. Yes, yes, I still see that. Uh, uh, you know, and and there's a time and a place to keep things close to your chest, and um, sure. it, it especially like specific locations. I know in film, like I don't want to film a spot that somebody's been hunting for 20 years and then show that film with skylines in it and people can recognize that. And there's a lot of guys out there that, um, you know, would rather chase hunting spots or chase where I'm hunting rather than go look for their own areas. So like I, I have been a little bit more secretive of the States and units that I'm hunting. Um, because mm -hmm. you know, it, it's like, a, a hunting, you know, we want, everybody to you know we want a big voice and we want people to enjoy it and protect it but in that same breath i don't like seeing boot tracks when i'm hunting you know and so um, oh yeah like so I, the first I have... rule about fight clubs you don't talk about fight clubs <laughs> that's exactly right but i but i've always been willing to give information out that there's going to help guys be better and i really don't yeah. think it's so much of the spot as the way you hunt it i think it's like building your hunting skill and your proficiency and knowledge base to be able to go into these units, whether they be an over-the-counter or low points draw, and and figure that place out and, and put the pieces of the puzzle together and find good hunting. And I, I think there's 
it's the information day and age, but I think there's still so many great hunting spots out there. And every year I'm exploring new places, new states, new units, and, and just able to find epic hunting. So I think it's less about the location and more about the hunting skill. And so I really yeah. focus on that and uh, sharing the, the tips and tactics that help make me successful on public ground, sharing that with guys so they can take that knowledge and find their own spot or their own location because there's plenty of them around the United States. There's still really good hunting to be had. Oh, yeah. We don't have a lot of public land in Texas, but um, I certainly – I think the most rewarding hunts that I've ever been on are, are the ones where you punch a tag on, on public land in the West. Um, you know, there's something to there's something to say for managing a whitetail herd on a 600-acre lease, right? I mean, that's fun, and that can be rewarding if you keep passing on a buck and you get him to like six or seven and he turns into something really incredible. And then you and then you take him. That's rewarding too. But man, taking an elk on public land with a bow is about as good as it gets, I believe. Oh, you're speaking my language, Cable. It is about as yeah. good as it gets. Yeah, you've got the elk hunting bug as well, right? I do. I I think I haven't missed a season. I think in eight years, um, which I've only been hunting eight years, so I don't have a wealth of knowledge on the topic. But you know, every time you go into the elk woods, you learn something new or. Uh, for me, I screw up something a different way than I that I hadn't before, uh, and uh, yeah, I've taken taken three three bulls, one in Colorado and two in New Mexico, so a couple five by fives and a six by six. Good and, for uh, and those you. Those have been those have been the most rewarding hunts for me personally. That is um, no easy feat. Yeah, those hunts they just push you mentally and physically. And then it just doesn't get any more thrilling than hunting an elk during the rut with a bow and arrow. Those close encounters, like uh, uh, I, I think it's a bigger adrenaline rush than jumping out of a plane or bungee jumping or any of that stuff. Like my heart will just race about out of my chest, and especially when those bulls are are bugling and rutting. And I just um, I live for those moments that you can get in and see something really special, like get into the elk woods and you get into this rut party, and maybe you hunted ten days or multiple seasons to get it but that that crazy action of hearing those elk bugle all around you and you're chasing them and sweats rolling down your brow it, it's so exciting and so thrilling like those are the moments i feel alive like the that's oh, yeah. that's what i what i absolutely live for is that excitement in the elk woods or those rut parties or um it just doesn't get any better than that for me yeah yeah and i it's giving me chills just thinking about it. where am i going to put in this year uh I don't know. I have hunted in Montana. I've elk hunted in Montana one year, and uh, I actually that was the low point of. Well, no, I won't say the low point because I'd already taken bulls at this point. Um, but I've missed twice on the same hunt. One time it uh, it, it all happened so fast, didn't ha have time to range this bull, and so I I shot him for thirty like downhill, and he was actually like forty four. Shot right under him, and then another time. A little five by five came in, and I'm talking in a burn, so not a lot of trees, uh, but I managed to hit the one branch in between me and that bull, and we watched that arrow sail right over his back. Um, but it, that one wasn't too bad because uh, we were hunting with uh, Ty Sheehan, formerly of Born and Raised Outdoors, uh, not Ty Sheehan, sorry, uh, Ty Stubblefield of Born and Raised, and uh, and he, as soon as I missed, he already had knocked an arrow and he smoked that thing, so. That was the difference between someone who's been doing it 20 years versus, you know, a flatlander who goes into the elk woods 
once a week every every fall. <laughs> Good for him. Capitalized yeah. on the opportunity after oh, a yeah. miss. I was Let- trying to knock another arrow because he he cow called and stopped it, and then it was already dead. <laughs> but not for my arrow. So yeah. Oh man. I, like, oh, um, I need to be more like that. Uh, more like a assassin, you know. But um, it was. I mean, at least we didn't come out of there empty-handed. Man, that's like all of us, you know. It's it's easier said than done on animals, and especially like on bulls. Like your first scenario uh, of like not having a range, um, yeah. it just seems like there's so many things that can go wrong in that crunch time. And, and and as long as I've been shooting a bow and as proficient as I've gotten, man, I just um, it, it's not a perfect science. It's like those bulls never stop moving. You know, no. and and I like to have an exact range when I shoot at animals, but it seems like those bulls are always on the outside or the far side of the herd, or I'll always be in bow range where I could have shot every single one of the cows, but the bull just comes, you know, ripping through my opening, or he's chasing a cow or a cow in front of him. Like they yeah. just have a knack for making the right moves, and I I've thought about that a bunch. Like I I mean I shoot absolutely every single day. I am committed to archery and being the best I can be. And I still have misses. Like I just missed a deer on this recent desert hunt. Now I, I was able to to uh, create another opportunity a couple days later and, and arrow this buck. But the situation was similar to yours, where I was sneaking in on this uh, this buck that was rutting these does, and he ended up bedding down in a good spot. And so I. I snuck around and man, I just tiptoed in. It was like this sandy desert wash that I could really creep in quietly. And I just started getting in range of this buck and he got on his feet and he just decided to leave these does and go find some other does like right at this time when I had got Mm. into range and he was working on the backside of the hill. uh, But if I exposed myself too far, I was going to blow out the does and then blow the whole scenario up. So I saw him on the backside of the hill, and then I kind of had to make another move uh, around the hill to him, and I just get over the top, and he's just moving, and I get a range on his on his head, you know, like 44 yards. And now he's walking, you know, to my right, and I'm, I'm also walking to my right, kind of paralleling him. And, and so I had this range at 44, and about five or ten steps later of me and the deer, he's going to walk through this opening – so I draw my bow and then stop him right when he gets in the opening and and settled my pin, executed a perfect shot and just nothing, total air ball. And um, yeah. I think I think exactly sounds familiar. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Well, things are just always moving and always changing. And yeah. and um, I hadn't gotten another range. I didn't have time for it. And I thought that was my chance. And he must have been more like forty and sent one right over his back. You know, and it's like. Gosh, yeah. as, as good and as proficient as we get with these bow and arrows, those, those animals just have a knack for making the right moves or everything's always changing or, you know, you don't have an exact yardage. And so, yeah, I mean, um, missing I like is a part of the game. It certainly is a part of the game. I feel like in that situation I was in, it was like you either have to draw your bow or you range him. Because if you range him, because we kind of met in this clearing at the same time, you know, he was fired up and and i stepped out from behind this tree i didn't realize he was as close to me as he was and uh you know it's like okay well if i move uh there's a chance he's gonna blow out of here certainly if i move twice like range him and then draw a bow like there's no way so you know i just said oh screw it i'm i'm drawing the bow and 
sending it and send it right under him. <laughs> so well, that's yeah. that killer instinct of it's now or never. This is my opportunity. But yeah, I'm I am horrible at judging yardage. It's probably something I should work on a little bit more. But uh, you know, I don't have the fastest bow. Like I have a short draw length at twenty six and a half, and so. And shoot a heavier arrow for penetration, like on those bulls and things. And so I don't have the best range forgiveness out there. Like if I don't get that yeah. range right within about two to three yards, I will miss just because of the speed of my arrow and things. And so like I've just really found that I have to get a range that I that I can't estimate. But that's one of the overlooked parts of bow hunting is like range finding is a skill within itself. Yeah. Oh yeah, and it, and you add those tricky angles in the mountains into the equation, and it's uh it, it changes everything again. So uh, it's, yeah, the, it's definitely the tr- uh I admire people that can just you know just do it on the fly. Yes. Accurately. Well, you do need that killer instinct to be able to uh you know uh, uh capitalize when you see that opportunity but it's a fine line too because you also don't want to force an arrow at a bad angle you don't want to force an arrow for like me i don't want to force an arrow if i don't have the range uh but that range finding in the mountains and like you say uh it, it it's tricky and you know where it really gets tricky is like with grass a lot of times mm-hmm. I'll have animals bedded down and you kind of got to come over the grass line and you're trying to get a range kind of through the grass or they're just above the grass. It's really tough to get an accurate range there. I I remember I missed this. Um, I, I was hunting. There was like this, this giant buck, man. It was like a 200-inch deer, but the deer he was running with was almost bigger. It was like a 180-inch uh, three-point that just had these bladed tines and huge eye guards and monster frame, and I – I snuck into 40-some yards of this buck in his bed, and um, I could just see his horns up there, and there was kind of a tree behind his horns. And and I was ranging – I thought I was ranging his horns, and what actually happened is my rangefinder shot through his horns and was giving me a reading on the tree behind him. So Mm. that buck stood up. Man, I could have ate a sandwich and and range found him. He didn't know I was there and then shot him. But instead, I just drew back because I thought I had a range, and then I sent one right over his back and right into that tree. It just crushed me. <laughs> That's a big buck, too. So, oh man, yeah. Oh man, yeah. Uh, yeah it's it's just um it's bow hunting and like uh like you said at the beginning of the conversation, it is about uh, learning from our failures. And if you want to be proficient at bow hunting, you're gonna fail a lot. It's just the way it is. You're gonna fail on your stocks. You're gonna fail on your shot. Uh, you're going to fail and you got to be able to pick yourself back up and go, okay, what did I do wrong or what can I do different or what can I take away from this to make myself better and more proficient on the next one? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you're certainly more committed to, to bow hunting than I am. I'm more of an equal opportunity. You just tell me the season and I'll, I'll show up with that weapon. (laughs) So I don't, uh, I love bow hunting. Like I said, taking an elk with a bow is, is the most rewarding thing. I think, you know, in the rut, when they're fired up and you're, and you're calling them in there, and that's another, uh, beautiful part of it is, is the ability to communicate with them. Uh, and a lot of people say it's like turkey hunting, which it is. I love turkey hunting for the same reason. Um, uh, just talking to them, learning how to speak, um, their language and, and hopefully tricking them. You know, you're playing mind games with them. Uh, that's, that's a big part of it as well. But, uh, but yeah, you, if you shoot every day, man, you're, you're certainly, uh, Brian, you're, you're much more committed to that than I am. I, I, I did a, I'd like to muzzleloader hunt, um, 
rifle hunt. I don't, I don't care. Just tell me what I need to bring and I'll, and I'll practice and uh, I'll be there. Well, it is also so much fun, and I think it's great to to try to capitalize on those opportunities, you know, with a muzzleloader and with a rifle, and um, yeah, it, it's just plain fun, and and also it's it's gaining more experience in the woods, and and you know, it it's improving your overall skill set. So I think that's really smart. Yeah, I, I um I fell in love with that bow and arrow, and I've been about I've been exclusive for fifteen years or so with my bow, and I just found that. I loved a bow and arrow, and I loved getting close and harvesting these animals, and I almost had to take a step down the rung of my trophy ladder when I committed to a bow that I had to shoot you know, smaller animals and be okay to get that experience mm-hmm. under my belt to where I could get proficient and then hold myself to these higher standards. And so like, it's been an evolution, but in that same breath, man, like uh, a lot of my hunting skill was built during rifle seasons, hunting yeah. elk uh, late with a rifle in Montana. Like right now it's negative 20 out there, uh, but Goodness. deep snow and cold and then general rifle season, guys go hard, you know, like uh, called it the Orange Army. But especially in a general season unit, there's a lot of guys that are pushing really hard into the backcountry. And so you had to push and you had to grind and you had to. Uh, the toughness it takes to be able to endure the cold and be out there and then just learning the bull's habits, you know, like after the rut, uh, man, these bulls are beat up and they want to find a secluded basin and tighten up their programs, meaning not showing themselves during light very often, you know, just morning and night, get their feed and put their weight back on. And so it's a really tough season to hunt elk. And I something that I honestly have never studied because I've, I've only, I've, I only go during the rut because, well, again, uh, a Texan with, you know, a family life and everything else going on, one week is a big commitment. You know, for us, that's all we get for a lot of guys. Um, maybe some are fortunate enough to go twice, but, you know, I pretty much have my, my elk hunting guys, my buddies that I go with, and we look at a calendar and say, okay, which what week works? And usually, you know, we always want to go second or third week of September, right? Um but yeah, so so all of the late season stuff is it's Greek to me. I haven't, uh, I don't know. Maybe someday I'll 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 do a late season hunt, but then I'd probably have to give up that rut activity. And who wants to do that? Yeah, you definitely don't <laughs> want to give up that rut cable. But right. I I do think like that late season um, hunting late season bulls like that in the deep snow and the big mountains. Like I think that's a totally different elk experience that everybody yeah. needs to do once in their life. Like I think it compares to the rut, and especially like with the rifle in your hands and extended range deep snow and cold like man i learned so many great lessons during that late season and had so many good times and to see like a big park bull that's migrating out onto public land and he you know a giant six point and a snowy backdrop to him and and feeding in a little avalanche shoot and then trying to figure out how you're going to get close man it is an awesome experience so i i almost love that as much as i loved the rut like back in the day and and since committing with the bow like um i I do a lot of cool hunts but still my family hunts with a rifle like uh my daughters hunt with rifle and not that they can't shoot a bow it's just you know they haven't had that bit of success like like me and you we've um we've had that uh that that success at the end we've grinded hard and found success with a bow and we know how much it means but for those young new hunters like uh grinding for 10 days on end and not getting a shot with your bow and arrow isn't much fun and so to be able to get them out there with a the rifle and have a little extended range 
you know, we're just no, yeah, able to have hook some. Them. Yeah, you gotta some, hook them with the rifle. Yep, and and, uh, and same with my dad. Like, um, you know, my dad's still young and capable and loves to hunt, and and he goes with me bow hunting. But what he really loves is that rifle hunting. You know, he's just got a little oh, yeah. bit better chance at success. And um, so every year I'll rifle hunt with him as well, or go with him. You know, accompany him. But yeah, man, it's um, I think it's smart to take advantage of all those seasons. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you one of my um trophies that means the most to me. Is it doesn't look like much of a trophy, but it's a uh, a little three by three mule deer that I shot at uh, twelve thousand feet in New Mexico with my muzzle loader, and it was we had we got into a whiteout situation, and uh, <laughs> we basically said, all right, we're we're going to get off this mountain. It's becoming quite dangerous, and there was uh, a, a couple sixty year olds with with us that were just there hiking, like my dad and his buddies, and the it was getting pretty sketchy as far as is getting around. And so we're like, we got to just call this thing off. But I had dropped a pin on a meadow that we had walked through, uh, on the way up the mountain. And I, I was like, there's tons of tracks here. So when we got there, I, I started glassing and sure enough, found two bucks feeding in the Aspens and was able to crawl within 60 yards of them and shot one of them. Uh, and that, that trophy means a lot, a lot to me, to be frank with you, just the way it all played out. And people come in and they look in my trophy room and it, they're like, oh man, you've got so many nice animals, and they'll look at something that I'm like, eh, that wasn't really that hard of a hunt. Let me tell you about this little dink of a mule deer, though. This this one's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, that thing? I'm like, yeah, dude, this one, this is a trophy right here. Well, a lot so, of the it's trophy. All in the eye of the beholder. It is. No, you're spot on. Uh, well, in a uh, the the trophy. You know, a lot of it is tied to the adventure you have, and like the the tougher and more extreme the adventure, the more it. Uh, asks of me and my body and and uh, mental fortitude like the more it means to me so i definitely have some trophies that aren't my largest but but they're trophies where i've had to grind for nine ten days in high elevation like you're saying carrying my camp on my back and you know lost 15 pounds and finally get an opportunity and then be able to be composed and put a perfect arrow in that animal man that is the highest of highs that's that's the high i'm chasing every year yeah Absolutely. It worked out even better because uh, these the older guys, they we actually had to call a, a stable, uh, the Wrangler that packed all of our gear in. Uh, we actually had to call them to come get the, let's just call them the 60 and up crowd. Uh, so they were riding horses out. So it worked out perfectly because we started before them because we were on foot. Um, but like an hour after I shot it, here they came with the horses, and I was like, "Hey, guess what? You guys are gonna help pack this out." <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that worked out perfect. Oh yeah, it was awesome. Oh man, um, yeah, what a cool adventure! And to be above twelve thousand foot like that, um, you know, it's it's a. Uh, it's it's amazing the adventures that the lower 48 holds and I you know I've been able to travel a few spots around the world and then you know Alaska and Hawaii and different places hunting and while all those experiences are really cool and dear to my heart it's like I really think like the coolest stuff is right at our back door you know the the coolest hunts for me are the the mule deer hunts and the elk hunts and and they're, you know, they may not be as coveted as a sheep, but those mule deer that migrate into that high country, they they live where goats and sheep live and, uh, you know, alpine basins and steep chutes and like you got to be part rock climber. People look at vertigo up there like they live mm-hmm. in some rugged country in some of the most remote country in the lower 48. And a, a giant mule deer is a trophy that everybody wants, but, you know, you don't see – 
they, they don't uh, not everybody has one like they're they're they have I such certainly don't, they have so. such keen instincts like you know they've evolved from thousands of years of avoiding mountain lions which are way sneakier than I could ever hope to be you know and so like uh to harvest a a trophy mule deer you know, in one of these remote spots in the lower 48 or a trophy bull like you've done in New Mexico and Colorado and things like, man, that is a, to me, that's like a super adventure. And so, you know, just like you're applying this year and making plans with your buddies, I'm doing the same thing. It's like, how many of these adventures can I fit in? Because, um, man, some of the the wildest stuff out there, that's, that's one of the reasons why we're so lucky to to be Americans and to have this conservation model. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, thinking of those plans, Montana's always one. And though I've only hunted there once, um, you know, you really only have to have one point to draw a decent unit in Montana, which is awesome. Oh man, we got some hunting here in Montana. Yeah, for sure. Like our for, general for an season. Out of stater, right? I mean, for yeah. me, if I have one point, I pretty much can guarantee that I can draw a tag there. That's right. So, and yeah. and the good thing is too, cable is like you can draw with one point. You can come out here and hunt our bow seasons and get with me before like the application period. Is there's some really good bow areas, um, yeah. but you can come out. You can hunt the rut. And actually, our rut, like you were talking, the second third week of September, which are usually the hottest weeks for the rut out here up north. It can be more like the third fourth week of September. But our bow season is open until like. The 18th of October, it changes every year, but basically mid-October. And, um, man, you'd be surprised. These elk continue to rut through October. And I killed a, a really good bull last year in September. But before that, my last seven, eight bulls had been October bulls. I call it Rocktober. So it, we have these long seasons that we can plan for in time during bow season. But if you don't fill out, you can come back in November and hunt late season elk with your rifle on the same tag. And yeah, the that other is thing, really cool. Yeah, yeah. And I, then, I wasn't able to, to take advantage of that, but I, I do recall that. And the other cool thing was, like, um, my tag was good for a mule deer buck or a bull elk. So, you know, if a 170-inch mule deer walked out, well, there you go. Yeah, I don't uh, – the tags aren't transferable, but I bet a uh, deer tag oh, is yeah. good for a mule deer or a whitetail, and you probably had okay. a combo tag where you had yeah. an elk and a deer tag so you could That's shoot either species. Yeah, that's what I had a combo tag. Yeah, uh, the mule deer hunting too is off the hook here, man. I mean, they let us hunt the rut. It's an opportunity state. Um, so every year we have a general rifle season that aligns with the the mule deer rut, and we just have some insane hunting. And you know, like like we were talking about, I'm bow only, and so uh, you know, hunt during the rifle season with with my bow, which is legal. And then I just backpack into these real remote areas where I have them all to myself, me versus the deer. Um, yeah. But man, the 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 rut action for mule deer up here during that general rifle season is fire. So that would like be a good time to come back in November if you could make the timing work and everything. Well, then you're right in the middle of our whitetail rut. So you know, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we get our priorities, don't we? And I'm the same way. Yeah. Like, um, so I love hunting whitetail. Whitetail are um, they're so good in small spaces, and they're so. Uh, switched on and wiry, like even more so than I'd say a mule deer. Now, big cagey mule deer buck gets pretty good at living in the country he lives in, and I've got a ton of respect for him. But those whitetails, man, those things are cagey. Oh yeah, I was chasing. I, I last year I leased 20 acres, only 20 acres, and uh, had a 170 some odd inch buck running around on that place. But he didn't live there. I never could catch up to him. 
Um, it was kind of a humbling deal. Uh, if I was on the property, he, he, he had figured it out and I had, you know, two, I only had two sets. I had two stands, tree stands and, uh, only hunted them on the right wind and everything. And I was only on the property one time that I know he was on the property. I didn't even see him. Just a trail camera told me, and then he immediately turned around and went back the way he came from. So they're smart, man. It was uh, I hadn't really done the whole urban archery thing until last year, but uh, it's a it's very it's a very different experience from you know having hundreds of thousands of, of acres to run around and play on when you're chasing elk uh, versus well I got these 20 acres and that's I'm pot committed to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that's uh, when you live in an urban area like I do. That's um, there's some big bucks though, like 200 inch deer being killed in my county every year. Wow. Uh, it's archery only county because of its proximity to, you know, urban areas. But that uh, was a lot of fun and something different. Uh, I also have a 700 acre deer lease, um, about two hours from Dallas, and and that place is like half of what I paid for 20 acres. So. You can, <laughs> The closer you are to to like the DFW Metroplex, the more exponentially expensive hunting leases become. So I certainly envy the uh, all of the Western folks who basically have trailheads trailheads right there at their back door. Yeah. Oh man, we're so fortunate. But you know, a lot of enjoyment of life is enjoying what's right around you, where you live. Like um, to sit and to dream off these far off places. Like as much as I like to travel. I like to take advantage of what's right in my back door, right in my backyard as well. And it sounds like you do too. And it, and it's wild when you can just be in the woods or be hunting, you know, half an hour from your house or hour from your house or close, you know, the proximity. The only difference is I had to sell my firstborn son to be able to afford it, you know, for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a little rough. Yeah. But, uh, but no, it was certainly nice to, I mean, literally it was 10 minutes from, from my house. So, uh, that was that was an awesome aspect, even though it was quite expensive. Uh, but to be able to get into the stand and um, you know, so you could sit all day or sometimes sit till 10 a.m. and and that's it. But uh, it was it was a luxury to where you're not having to drive hours on end to to get to your lease or whatever. Um, but yeah, how cool the are West you gonna is just, are you gonna keep that lease? You think? No, no, no. I, it was a one year deal. So, huh? It was so expensive. And just things, the headaches that come along with, with urban hunting, like these three labs that were from down the, down the road, the neighbors would just not keep them. Um, they wouldn't keep them pinned in. And so I had a picture of that buck that I'm, I mean, just monster probably, hunt, I think it was about 175, which oh would have been gosh. the biggest whitetail I, I, you know, would have ever taken with a bow. Um, and I have a picture of him at like 515 at one of my sets. I wasn't hunting that day. Uh, and then at 517, here's these three labs. And I mean, you would not believe the amount of people when I posted a picture of those dogs that were like, oh, they're just, they're just dogs. They're not going to affect the deer hunting. I'm like, I'm looking at the deer that was right here and now he's gone because those dogs are there. Yes, it affects deer hunting, especially on 20 acres. Uh, this isn't, you know, <laughs> they're trying to just, I, it's not the dog's fault, right? It's just the, the, they have shitty owners. Um, I don't just like have any disdain towards the dogs. They're just doing what dogs do. Uh, but you know, the, I, I got with those neighbors three times. Finally had to call the game warden. He's like, well, you really have no, nothing you can do about it. Uh, you can call animal control. You can trap them and call animal control. He's like, you can't shoot them. I was like, I don't want to shoot someone's dog. I, I have yeah. a lab myself. I don't want, that's not, that isn't what I'm want to talk to you about. Like, 
what can we do? Finally, animal control came and, and ended up having to write them a ticket. And, uh, I never did see the dogs again, but my landowner since told me that they've been back around this season. His son's been hunting the place. And no, it was just a, it was just a, oh, and then one day I'm sitting in my tree stand and I hear this noise. I'm like, what? It was really loud. I was like, what in the hell is that? Uh, and then like two minutes later, here comes this hot air balloon flying right above my tree. <laughs> the neighbors had fired up a hot air balloon literally like 200 yards from me through in the, you know, on the other side of the fence line and I, through the brush. I couldn't see them. And I'm just like sitting in my tree stand and there's a hot air balloon, which is, I mean, there's no way any deer are coming now. Uh, so just things like that. But like I said, it was a learning experience. I, I'm not saying I would never do it again, but, um, just financially, Kai was such a commitment and to have no, no payoff at the end of the day. It was just kind of like one of those things that just kind of stuck in my crawl. Yeah, that'll burn a guy. That's frustrating. That common courtesy is kind of like common sense where it's not very common. <laughs> you know, It's right. like, um, right. I can't believe those people wouldn't keep their dogs in. If you're a dog owner, you have to have a responsibility for your dogs, and that means they don't just run wild or run loose. And, you know, of course you don't want to shoot them, or you don't even want them to have them captured. And you talk to the landowners multiple times and said, hey, I'm, I'm hunting this land. Your dogs are running through it like crazy, and they yeah. wouldn't do anything about it. Until no, you called okay animal control. Face, like, you know, to, your, to my face, they'd be like, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll take care of it. And then, like, two days later, here they are, back on my my uh, cell cameras and, you know, just messing everything up. So, Man. whatever. I'm not crying over spilled milk. It, was a, it wasn't it was an experience that I regret having. So, uh, just not one that I'm willing to write that check for again this year. Yeah, yeah, live and learn for sure. Gosh, um, yeah, I've, I've got... I really like whitetails. Um, I am yet to, so I've got all these species with my bow and all these places I've traveled. I'm yet to harvest a whitetail buck with my bow uh, because of the same reason that, that um, you won't miss the whitetail rut. I, I can't miss the muley rut. And I've got right. one tag in Montana. It goes for a muley or for a whitetail. And so I've focused in before and I probably have a dozen whitetail does that I've shot with my bow are whitetails are really condensed in the river bottoms. And so we're able to hunt the river bottoms and gosh, they'll give us five doe tags or something. So if I don't kill an elk, it's a good way for me to fill my freezer. It's also great practice. And I love the whitetail species as they're so switched on, but, uh, I've been to Ohio and I've sat in a tree stand and, uh, done the all day sits during the rut and look for an opportunity. And, and that was fun. It was a different experience. Oh my gosh. It, uh, it tests my patience like crazy, man. Oh. It, it's like um, it, it's uncomfortable it's, physically, but it's the mental grind of an all-day sit that is like, can you can you do it or not? You know, and it's a it's a it's a commitment for sure. Man, uh, you're spot on. Like the the mental tax it took to sit day in day out all day long boring, in that right? stand. Oh my gosh, and, and it just tests you. You know, it's like um, yeah, I I was really impressed at like um. Uh, just how much the the mental side of things like it tested me to to make those sits. So uh, I still haven't killed my whitetail buck with my bow. So I've got to do a little traveling or maybe back to Ohio or one of these years in Montana. Uh, and I've hunted whitetails before, and I like I I just don't like one of the spindly threes. They just don't get me excited. And so like I may have a little bit too high a standards, and it doesn't have to be like a 160, 170 inch buck like you were chasing. Like I'll shoot a really good 130, 140 inch buck. I just want them to be four or five years old and have that mass on them, you know. And so like I and I have right. that tag in right. my pocket, and I know I've got the muley rut, and so I just can't pull the trigger on a smaller whitetail. Like I want to kill. 
you know, a, a real nice heavy one that I'm happy with, you know. But yeah. I have had uh, a lot of fun chasing them in the river bottoms and in Ohio. And, man, one of these years I got to get my big whitetail buck with my bow. Well, it's weird. It's uh, it's interesting the way you said, you know, if I don't get an elk or, you know, I don't have uh, fill my mule deer tag, then I'll just fill the freezer with whitetail. And for, for me, coming from Texas to your part of the world, it's like I have – absolutely no interest in shooting a cow elk for that same reason i've got a freezer full of whitetail i don't i don't have any desire to pack out a cow elk i'm here for a bull that's what i'm here for um so i'm I'm not like i don't think you could define me as just a trophy hunter because my family hell last night we ate moose lingua uh, tacos um for my i've shot a bull moose in um newfoundland in 2019 and we ate the tongue. So we eat a lot of wild game. But for me, it's the whitetails that kind of just, like you said, fill the freezer um, and and why I have no interest in shooting a cow. Yeah, those whitetails, they eat so good. You know, I'm I'm Well, I'm elk's similar. better. Elk's better, right? I mean, but I already have, like, I already have full freezers. So I'm not coming. I'm not committing a week of my life to come shoot a cow, pack it off the mountain. I'm there for, uh, well, I mean, yeah, you could say a trophy. Uh, that's the, the experience and and like and we, we like we were talking about the communication with the bulls i'm trying to trick them you know into coming into bow range all that's what i'm there for yeah well it makes sense yeah the um you know i'm the same way uh, i think cow is a great way to build your elk skill and work your way up the rungs of the elk hunting ladder but for me i'm the same way i don't you know my buddies will shoot cows throughout the year i've got plenty of meat and harvest plenty of game animals that i just don't need to shoot a cow and you know trophy hunting gets kind of a bad rap like we almost feel bad about saying we're a trophy hunter but but really you saw you saw how i just caught myself there a little bit right i was like "Uh, is it okay to admit that i'm a trophy hunter on this show (laughs) but no from eastman's perspective uh, you guys are pro trophy hunting which i love uh because i think it's stupid that we hide behind like oh well here's the way i always put it do do we like Big bass or little bass? Do we like big bucks or little bucks? Do we like big boobs or little boobs, right? I mean, that's human nature. Those are things that we like, and and it's uh, it's rewarding to take the oldest mature animal of the species, which is you know from a conservation perspective, that's the right thing to do anyway. So I don't I don't hide behind the term trophy hunter. I'm frigate fuck it. I'm I'm a trophy hunter. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely love big boobs, so I'm with you there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I uh, I think you're spot on. Yeah, it's um, and it's a challenge. And like you want to shame us, right? Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be shamed by it. Damn it, I I want to have. You know what? I like to eat it, but I also am looking at a six by six elk on my wall, and I freaking love looking at it too. So there you go. Well, it's the the showpiece of the species too, that an animal can get that old and grow that kind of headgear. And I always think about it like um. You know, you, you're just putting a higher challenge on yourself or a higher degree of difficulty. If I just wanted right. to go out and shoot meat every year, I wouldn't have to work as hard as I do running thousands of trail miles and shooting my bow every single day. If I could just go out and shoot whitetail does, my freezer would be full and I'd be happy. But to me, I like the challenge of it. Like mm-hmm. you said, the the older age class animals, they get uh, wilier. They're almost like a different species in themselves. Like you can probably relate with whitetails. When they get old, they get they get smart. They have great instincts. They get cagey, and and also there's less of them out there. And so yeah. when you when you put this challenge on yourself that I want to harvest, you know, and for me, 
like a trophy is not all about what he scores, you know, and I do use score, but it's more the maturity of the animal. I want him old and I want him heavy. And if he's heavy and big and old, I am a happy camper no matter what that thing scores, you know, and and putting that challenge on myself, there's less of them. Uh, They're mature animals, so they're they're wilier, they're cagier, and it keeps me working hard towards my goals every year. And my goals, like when I visualize putting a perfect arrow in a bull, it's not a spike bull. It's a great big six point, you know, and so I'm the same way, man. I love trophy hunting. I love setting high goals, and and I love the species that I hunt. And if I just would kill any elk or deer that I ran into, like – um. You know, I, I think I wouldn't be doing myself and my skill set justice as well. Well, just from the, the the limited experience I have on elk hunting, like spikes are stupid. Like they're mm-hmm. not, they're really dumb. <laughs> like you, they can see you and then walk away, and you can call them back to you. There's that doesn't appeal to me. Like shooting that animal. Like I I'm, I'm not saying, and I'm not knocking anyone that chooses to do that. Uh, me neither. By any means, like if it's legal, hell, knock yourself out. It's gonna taste delicious. Uh, but for me, like I, I'm just like that's not the challenge that I'm here for. So, where's the where's the mature bull? That's what I want. And uh, and I've seen it happen in in Colorado, New Mexico, and Montana. Like the the spikes act the same way in each state. <laughs> They're just not very smart. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and in in some units for some guys like uh, that are working their way up the the trophy ladder of building their proficiency and their skill set, like a, a spike is a challenge to execute mm-hmm. the right shot. You know, we're just at a place in our hunting career and and also a place that we're traveling to good elk spots to hunt. Like I have good elk locations, so you're right. It's not a a spike isn't a challenge for me, but you know, go somewhere out in the the west, some over-the-counter tag that doesn't have as high elk populations. And, you know, somebody may have to work really hard to kill a spike. You have to travel hundreds of miles and climb a bunch of elevation and finally gets an opportunity and they want elk meat in their freezer. I totally yeah. get that. And oh, I think like, like hunting is just a, a personal quest and we all have to make our own set of rules for as far as uh, – um, you know, ethics and as far as uh, the way we want to take animals. I mean, you know, if I just wanted to shoot animals, like I I wouldn't be out with a bow either. Like I like that excitement, that challenge, that thrill. And so we're all on our own personal journey and and that's okay. Absolutely. You know, no matter if I would have had the opportunity to shoot a spike first, um, maybe I would have done it. Uh, But the first elk I shot was, and and I missed the the first year I went elk hunting, I missed. Uh, The next year I, I got my first bull. And I, I didn't, I don't think I had an opportunity to shoot a spike. I'm not, I don't know if I would or, or wouldn't have, uh, but I, I never was presented. I don't think with that opportunity. In subsequent seasons, I've just been like, man, these, uh, I, I've gotten better at calling too, right? So maybe that has something to do with, uh, the spikes seem to always just show up and not really be too eager to leave. Yeah, well, you, you've gotten better and better at elk hunting and finding elk and locating them and being into them. So therefore, you know, you're your your bar or your your um your goal has changed over the years and you know when i started hunting i mean my first uh, i started uh, like in the pacific northwest uh, low game populations hunting blacktails and roosevelts and the thick timber country out there mm-hmm. and yeah my first deer at 15 years old was a was a spike buck and i was thrilled to death you know like oh, you talk about your trophies like that's yeah. one of my um one of my best trophies, you know, is a spike buck that I killed that had a probably three, four inch spikes. But, you know, at the time, that was a challenge for me. Uh, uh, now, not as much. 
I remember the first um, duck hunt that I ever did solo, and uh, I'm a big duck hunter, um, and I took my lab, who really became a duck dog by default because um, he he liked to retrieve like tennis balls and stuff, uh, and had been swimming quite a bit. My buddies were like, so I started hunting when I'm I'm about to be 40. I started hunting when I was 20. I grew up just bass fishing. My dad's obsessed with fishing, still is. Um, but we didn't, we didn't really do any hunting. So it was something my college buddies were like, bring your dog. We're going duck hunting. And I'm like, ah, I'm going to drink beer and chase girls. They're like, no, you're coming. Bring your dog. And I was like, okay, I got to go. Now I got to go buy a shotgun. Who knows how many tables I had to wait to be able to afford a Remington 870 at the time. I'm sure it was quite a few. Uh, so we go duck hunting. The dog's afraid of, of the gunshots. Like he, he hates it. And I think he was associating it with like fireworks. Finally, I think they all must have been relatively new to it, too, because we all sucked at, sh- at shotgunning. And finally, by the grace of God, somebody knocked down a mallard. I, let the- I had to tie the dog to the blind because he you know, was scared of the guns. He's trying to run off. I let him off his lead. He goes and gets that duck, and we were both addicted to, du- to hunting. To- to- at first, duck hunting. Now here we are 20 years later, <laughs> and I'm doing it for – and have been doing it for a living for 12 years. Uh, but that's how- that, was- that was how I was hooked on, on all things hunting. And, uh, and so, you know, the next weekend I'm like, okay, now I'm a duck hunter. I take the dog out and I had to go buy decoys and, you know, the whole nine yards, um, probably read an article in field and stream on a J hook, how to set up a decoy spread, some shit like that. We go out and these, this pair of green wing teal come in and I, I doubled, I shot them both. The dog went, got them both. And I remember how cold it was. I remember the smell of the shotgun. I remember everything about that morning. And those two ducks are, they're like probably the me and the most of me out of, a, of anything I've ever shot because that was kind of like the, I guess, the beginning of, of this. Uh, it's really just a lifestyle. Um, but that's like where it, it changed for me. And uh, and here we are. <laughs> Man, how All cool. over two little green wing teal. Man, I'm the the same way. Like, uh, started hunting. Well, not the same way. I my family hunted, and nobody in my family bow hunted. I was the first one to get a bow. Uh-huh. But uh, I was the same way as that duck hunting really hooked me as a kid because it was more action. I got to shoot more. I got to practice yeah. shooting, and it it gets you comfortable and familiar with that dose of adrenaline and being able to still aim your shotgun. And like you, I was I was horrible when I started. I missed so many ducks, but and then just the adventure of it, like being 16 and having my truck and um, you know having a, a place my uncle got me permission on that he trapped on that you know I was able to go and go hunt ducks there, but. 16 and cut loose in the these wild lands and mud and like there was definitely some elements of danger and then i had this shotgun and able to to hunt these ducks and then i just got into some of the most insane duck hunting the pacific flyway and um man i i missed so many boxes of shells but after a while you start to get proficient at it and um Uh You talk about like the smell of the gunshot and the like as you're saying that I oh, can I remember, remember all those same feelings like rushing back over me like like bird hunting and uh, it's that's uh, a lot of how I cut my wings or what hooked me on on hunting as well and I just think like this outdoor lifestyle that you talk about and whether that's bird hunting whether that's big game hunting whether that's uh, fishing I love to fish as well like you go do that and you catch one of those good days. I don't think there's a person out there that wouldn't enjoy it and have the time of their life. Like you just got to share that experience with them and it hooks them the same way it hooked you and the same way it hooked me. Like it is just pure 
fun. You know, there's just no oh, yeah. way to get around it. Well, we just finished our worst uh, duck season of all time in North Texas because we didn't really have a winter at all. So, I, I mean, I'm talking to people in, in Montana that were, were still shooting ducks the last weekend of the season. We don't have, like, <laughs> hardly any down here. Um, though, but my son, no, knowing that we're going out and we're like, our attitude this year was like, well, do you want to get skunked at eight or nine? Uh, <laughs> how long do you want to wait? <laughs> um, it, knowing that, you know, the odds of us shooting, certainly not a limit, but uh, even scratching out a couple ducks, the odds were kind of small this year. And, uh, he's eight years old and he still was chomping at the bit to go every time. So he's hooked. He also shot his first whitetail this year. Um, which I was super proud of him. And, and it wasn't something that I ever pushed on him. You know, being in this industry, I didn't want my kid to feel like, well, I'm, dad wants me to do this, you know? Um, so he came to me after last whitetail season and was like, dad, I think I want to shoot a deer next year. And then we had this pandemic and had plenty of time on our hands. So we were at the deer lease almost every weekend in practicing and he got proficient with the 22-250. And uh, sure enough, uh, knocked down his first doe this year at eight years old. So certainly he got a, a jump start on it compared to, to me uh, picking it up in my 20s or at 20. Uh, how, but yeah, how cool. How cool yeah. to be able to share that with your son. I'm the same way. I've got two daughters. So we're 17 <laughs> and 13. Oh, you do? Oh, uh, my, mine are uh, six, though. I have twins. So yours are yours are a bit older than mine. Yep. And, and same way as I've just tried to introduce him into fishing and hunting and um Man, it, it's just been this amazing journey. There's so many great life lessons for him being out there. And then, you know, to give my girls like like these adventures, you know. And now for hunting deer, we, you know, we started hunting them kind of local and go out for, you know, an evening hunt. I remember my youngest daughter made a heck of a shot on this this two-by-one buck, you know, that was, um, you know, we practice her shooting positions and with her rifle, but, you know, we shot this deer and we ended up in the swamp in the middle of the night and then, you know, uh, quartering it all up and, and putting it in our backpacks and um, having to, to uh, slog through the swamp to make it back to the truck. But, you know, to that point, to my daughter at 10 years old when I took her on that first hunt like it was a super adventure and now still like we drive seven hours to go on the eastern part of the state and backpack into these spots and I take her on these adventure hunts and man it's been so fulfilling for me to be able to share these experiences with her and it also gives me a chance to really bond with her like when we're uh -huh. at the house and I ask her how her day was she goes oh fine and may talk right. about a couple things but when you're on a seven hour truck drive out to go hunting and then spend all this time sleeping in the back country and hunting these animals. Like you have some pretty in-depth conversations. It seems like you can, I can really reach my kids when I go on these things and it's good for them to have that, that one-on-one -on -one time with dad, have this super adventure they go on and then, you know, learn these lessons about hard work and effort. And then, um, and then be able to have meat on our table. Like last night, we had uh, fajita meat from one of my daughter's deer, and she takes so much oh, pride nice. in knowing, you know, that it's her deer that we're cooking and eating and providing for the family. But man, it has just been so fulfilling, like introducing my daughters into this world that I love so much. And like you, I try not to push it too hard, too heavy at first. Like it's just all about them and what they want to mm -hmm. do and uh, what their goals are for the year. And and um, you know, I I don't know. If they'll be, I don't know if the, I don't know if it's, um, if they'll take to it like I have, you know, maybe they will, 
you know, throughout later in life, it'll really hook them and it'll be all they think about, like me obsessed with it. But right now, like it's just it's like this great adventure with dad where we get to practice with the rifles and our shooting positions, spend time together, go have an adventure. And right now, like, uh, you know, they've got volleyball and basketball and friends and all these different things. But I'm still able to to keep this adventure with them with 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 hunting and then also fly fishing we live right on the madison and i can always talk them into going and doing a drift with me and it's just it's such quality time with dad and i just i just cherish it man the time goes so quick they grow up so fast man they do they do and mine ours our our adventures are going to the deer lease and they want to sit in the blind and i've had both of the six-year-olds in in the blind with me when i've taken a uh doe and and god we have so many hogs brian it's uh it's really <laughs> i mean there is no closed season in texas you can always hunt hogs and we always have them on our leaf so um yeah they they certainly enjoy that and um i'm sure as they get older like your girls you know those things volleyball and soccer and boyfriends and all that crap um that you know is normal for teenage girls will will interfere with that but as long as you know it sounds like you set the the stage early on in life and so they still see a value in spending that time with you i hope mine mine do the same thing um no doubt yeah well you definitely have to cater the experience to them and like your young daughter sitting in the blind with you like you don't want to go hike them 10 miles and that's where i have to where i've really been intentional with my girls too to cater the experience to them so while we Mm -hmm. go have these super adventures you know, it doesn't quite compare to me going to Colorado and hunting above 13,000 foot for 10 days and losing 10 pounds or whatever the case is, you know. But so I definitely cater the experience, but I know they're capable and I know I can push them a little bit. I just don't want to push them too far where it isn't fun anymore, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like they don't – they're not – kids aren't the gluttons for punishment that we are in our hunting quests. Like how miserable can I be? That's what makes it so great. If I'm successful, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like whether it's a, a all day sit for a whitetail or, you know, spending seven days in the back country. And man, I had one, one trip in New Mexico where, and I had worn these boots on a safari in Africa. So they were, they were broken in. I think I'd actually worn them the year before elk hunting, but they crapped out on me on the way up the mountain. So seven mile pack in, I'm getting blisters, hot spots. Like by the time it was all over, the my blisters, blisters had blisters. It was terrible. Every step hurt. But I shot a bull on the last day, and that was the most rewarding moment of my hunting career. Even more so than the first bull elk I shot by myself. Um, it was a, uh, it was surreal to have all of, because you know like almost every step I'm like God, just give me the strength to take another step. It was so miserable. Uh, and, and it goes without saying, if your feet go in the backcountry, you're screwed. Um, so that was, a. I got a new pair of Kinetrex after that switched, uh, switched to a different company and those Kinetrex have been, have treated me well. Man, that is brutal. Yeah. I've had some buddies that have come up with bad blisters and I, I do remember a hunt a long time ago, uh, where I got, uh, it's a, like a bite in my heel, like too stiff of a boot and it rubs right on that heel bone or something. And, mm-hmm. uh, man, I, uh, it hurts every single step, and when you're taking thirty thousand steps a day, like th- there's a lot of grit and toughness that it takes to just to continue on, you know. But oh, yeah. um, you know, we learn that payoff, like uh, killing that bull and feeling that success. And once you feel it, or once you get it in your blood, 
then it just seems like you're willing to walk through broken glass to achieve it again or to to get those feelings again. And so that's what I've got hooked on is just yeah. that that grit and and maximum effort and and putting everything out there. And and the more you put into something, the more it means to you in the end. Just like that bowl, you know what it means to you, what you had to endure uh, with your feet in those blisters, man. I can't imagine. Yeah, it was an experience that I I look back on and am thankful for, but not one that I want to do again. It's just <laughs> like, uh, not to that extreme. That was a but. But yeah, I um I had never shot a bull in the chest either. I'd never shot any animal that was you know straight on and i shot that bull in the chest at 18 yards dude and i watched like this is a graphic but he was just like hemorrhaging blood and i was like oh this is awesome and he ran like 30 yards and you know fell over dead as dirt and uh you know you see videos of people shooting him in the chest and 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 i had never even thought about it. it never crossed my mind like it was just i knew that he was inside 20 yards and i put that 20 yard pin right on you know center mass and it was a, a Dude, it's a highly effective kill shot. I imagine you've done it plenty of times, but that was the the first time that I ever had the opportunity to do it, and uh, it was devastating. Oh man, that shot when when made correctly, they do not go far. Like angles are really good in archery, like running those arrows through angles, like a quartering away, or you know, getting that angle on those animals. And that that forward facing shot is a tricky one because um, you know the area that you have to hit is fairly small, and so there's not a lot of room for error. So like I hold myself to the to the same shot or same rule that you had. Like if it's under 20 yards, I know I can hit that spot, which is about as big as a grapefruit, maybe mm -hmm. a little bit bigger, but you can't miss left or right. So you can't get any wind drift on your arrow. It has to be absolutely precise. And um, yeah. so like a lot of times I wait for that broadside or quartering away. But if he's under 20, at that point, I feel like I'm defending myself. <laughs> like it's uh, oh, yeah. at that like point, I can make that <laughs> shot 100% of the time. And, and yeah, when, when I take it, um, you know, a, a, a mule deer, whatever the case, elk, whatever it is. And, and I haven't shot too many elk in the front. I'm real leery about elk because they're such big animals that I want to make a perfect shot. But if he's under 20 yards like yours was, man, I'll, I'll take that shot every day. And when you make it correctly, it's almost more effective than a broadside shot. Like it, it oh. just, the blood, like you say, just pours out of them and they hardly make it incredible. out of sight when done right. Yeah, it was, it was so awesome. Um, but yeah, but, um, speaking of adventure, I did want to tell you, um, and I'm not taking my bow on this and I don't even know what kind of poundage you would have to have, but I'm, I'm leaving for, uh, South Africa for a Cape Buffalo hunt next week. So that's going to be, uh, it's one that's been on my bucket list for a long time and it's going to be interesting traveling with all of these new like restrictions and everything, uh, due to COVID. So. I don't know. Just it's all part of the adventure, right? Dude, that is crazy. Uh, Good for you. Yeah. Uh, what a super adventure. Yeah, and whatever you got to do with COVID travel, you just do it and wear your mask and whatever they need. You know, you, yeah. you get your tests, whatever, <laughs> whatever allows you to get over there and hunt those things. But man, that that Cape buffalo has to be one of the coolest species to hunt. Yeah, and and I almost think like a, it'd be more fun with a gun than it would a bow. And I'm I'm such a bow nut that I'd want to take my bow. I'd want to do it that way. But the gun hunting for those things looks so fun like the um 
it seems like you put a ton of miles on. Like you're going to be walking washes and doing, you know, 13 to 20 miles a day looking for these things. But to be able to watch those trackers work and look at the track and then to be able to go to Africa, like I don't want to go to Africa and sit in a blind over water. Like it's just not what I want to do. Like I want to go there and I want to go immerse myself in the bush and go look for those critters and try to spot and stalk them. And so with the rifle, I'd imagine you're going to do a ton of miles. You're going to be trying to track those things and then you're going to be hunting them in thick brush and add that with their one of the most dangerous game animals in africa so there's like a like an added excitement or thrill there man uh I, i'm pumped for you. that is going to be a super adventure man yeah congratulations and good on you like booking that during the times we're in and just going no hell with it i'm going on that hunt oh yeah well this is going to be my fourth uh trip over there and i had this bad like i had a uh, it turned out to be not accurate at all perception of what Africa was going to be like. Um, and, and driving around and shooting things out of a truck does not appeal to me in the least. Like, and, and again, well, I'll take with the caveat of it appeals to, to me, certainly with feral hogs or coyotes or anything of that nature, but like going on a destination hunt for big game and then just driving around and shooting shit out of a truck, not my cup of tea, not, not, you know, if it is yours, great. Uh, but that's what I thought Africa was going to be like, like flat, and we're just going to be driving around, and we're going to get out real quick and shoot stuff. And it, and I and I had the opportunity to go through this career, um, and and I was thankful for it. But I was like, okay, I would rather go to Alaska. You know, personally, it was like that's the adventure I'm looking for. But okay, I'll go to Africa. My buddy wants me to go. Well, I'll go, dude. I fell in love with it. It was all spot and stock, tons of hours behind the glass, tons of miles on the boots. Hunting kudu in the mountains during the rut it was like every bit like elk minus the bugling. They don't bugle. Uh, but, you know, they're herding up cows and you're in the high country. And, I mean, it was all spot and stock, shooting, making quick shots off of sticks, you know, having to test your skill set. Uh, and so this is, like I said, this is my fourth trip, first time uh, hunting Cape Buffalo. But it's it, it got in my blood. And, and it wasn't – and it, I didn't expect that to happen. It was just I had to – the complete wrong perception of, of what the hunting was going to be like there. Gosh, we do kind of get preconceived notions of what it's going to be like. Uh, that sounds awesome. Those kudu are such uh, pretty animals, like uh, uh, just yeah. their their colorations on their bodies and then the spiral horns. I can't imagine like hunting those in the mountains during the rut. That sounds like an absolute riot. I, I've got to go try it. I've just got to find the right outfit out there that will let me hunt with a bow and arrow but will let me stalk through the – uh, you know, through the the savanna, oh, yeah. or you know, stalk through there and find animals and try to make plays because my whole game is spot and stalk. I love it, you know. And so my buddy shot seven animals with his bow last year. None of it sitting over water. He doesn't. He, that doesn't appeal to him. He hunted with a PH that that specializes in bow hunting with the the same outfit that I went with. Um, so certainly, yeah, it can it can be done and it can be rewarding. Um. For sure. Oh, I got to get with you and find that outfit you were using just for future. But yeah, I would love to go try it too. Like I, a lot of my joy of hunting is like um, immersing myself in a new habitat and a new species mm-hmm. and trying to figure it out. Like I just love that. Like uh, new places and then seeing something that my eyes have never seen. Like I always apply for uh, exotics, you know, ibex, and um, I want to come down to Texas and hunt Audad, which I had a hunt put together last spring that fell through. Uh, but trying to get back down there this year to hunt them, but to to look at a new species through my eyes and then be able to match wits and chase them around, man, I absolutely love that. So um, 
that that's a yeah. what a cool experience to get the chance to hunt Cape Buffalo too. They're like the the top of the heap for African species, and it it looks like the funnest hunting too. You know, it's just that stalking those things uh, through the brush and and in tight quarters with that rifle. What rifle are you going to bring for him, Cable? Uh, I'm taking a 375 Ruger. Which oh, cool. the 375 caliber is the the minimum requirement for uh, certainly for Cape Buffalo. I think for uh, maybe everything except for the leopard when it comes to dangerous game. Uh, a lot of people take a 375 H and H, but um, I'm kind of in bed with Mossberg and they've been good to me and they they make a 375 Ruger. So got a 300 grain uh, bullet that I'll be uh, flinging at the man. That's a lot of lead. I know. I. I, it sounds bad, but I just got it because of COVID. The gun was back ordered, so it, it came last week. I got a scope put on it, and uh, I'm going to the range here in the next couple of days to uh, hopefully not destroy my shoulder, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, um, 375 is going to have a little bit of a bite, but I noticed those big calibers. It's less of a bite and more of a push with those things, and mm-hmm. that 375 caliber. And you're so experienced with rifles and things, I'm sure you're going to get it dialed in. But oh, yeah, yeah, hopefully you don't have to shoot too many boxes of shells to get it dialed in. Well, let's hope 10 rounds get this done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and wear yeah. your heavy jacket, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if we have time, but one other really cool adventure that I was fortunate enough to go on, uh, I think it was 2017, um, I did a trap line trip in British Columbia. Dude, that was, out of all of the, you know, when I've been blessed to go on a lot of cool hunts, that was the the one that I think was my favorite of all time. And uh spent a week on a trap line with these two brothers who, actually, they are uh, moose and, and mountain goat outfitters is what they their real job is and they noticed like going back to the wolves they were like where are all of our freaking moose this was like 15 years ago and they just they had so many wolves that had moved into the area they were decimating their their moose herd and so they started trapping them and then i think they had a client that like you know moose season's long gone for them by the time the snow's on the ground they had a client that was like hung around or was local or something and he went on the trap line trip with them or like to check the traps. And he was like, you guys should sell this experience. And so they've been, there's now like a three year waiting list just to, to do the trap line deal with them. Um, but learning, like it's such a nostalgic thing. Like that's how, that's what pushed westward expansion, uh, was, was by and large the beaver trade. Um, you know, the felt, the felt beaver hats for like the, the status sign that, that men wore in the day in the you know 1800s, and uh, it's interesting to to go back in time and and see that you know some things never do change. You're still trapping them by and large the same way that, you, that people were 150 years ago. Uh, and I really wanted a wolf too, and so I looked at uh, hunts in Montana and Idaho. You know, you go to a trade show and you inter you know you, you interview outfitters, and and all of them are like, yeah, you're about 20% success, and and maybe. 20% you, you get a shot at one, um, maybe 50% that you see one. I'm like, man, for a week of my life, 50% just to see one doesn't sound that great. <laughs> so I've, I was like, where can I get a better chance of getting my hands on a wolf? And so I found that trap line deal and it was like, yeah, 80% success rate on getting a wolf. Sure enough, got a wolf. We caught three lynx. We caught, I don't, I lost track of how many pine martins we caught, uh, coyotes, got a wolverine, got a fisher. Um, dude, it was, uh, it was awesome. 
and so just so diverse the animals that we came across. Um, it was pretty cool. Wow, what a unique experience! I haven't heard of anything like that. Uh, yeah. yeah, traveling to British Columbia and then working the trap line with these guys, and then just their knowledge and know-how of of working that trap line so many years. But yeah, you're immersed in that habitat again, and and you're right, it it is a tie back to our roots, back to our ancestry of of moving west and trapping beavers and those. Those old time trappers, I love reading those books. Is uh, you know they were wild men. You know they uh, oh God, uh they, yeah. they didn't make much money or they spent everything they made, but they lived out in the woods and 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 had to deal with real dangers. And um, you know they were hunters and they were trappers and um, just had this amazing way of life. But how cool to be able to take um, steps back and like go experience what they experience and i know you know my uncle was a trapper growing up and i used to go on his trap line with him and help him out and, and just the the knowledge that i gained and the experience it was just wild but uh what a what a cool endeavor cable i'd never heard of anything like that but what a great adventure for a week and then to to trap those animals and work that trap line in the deep snow i'm sure middle of winter oh, yeah. man that is crazy yeah i, I yeah. haven't heard of anything like that that's that's wild Highly recommended. It. it was pretty cool, and uh, and then I took that knowledge, um, and it's different. You know, we don't really have snow in Texas. Maybe once a year, and it never sticks for longer than a day. Uh, but to take that, what I learned, and like as far as leg using leg holds, um, and been able to successfully trap coyotes here, uh, so that, so that was pretty cool to take that knowledge and then um, use it to, uh, you know, knock down the coyote numbers on the, on the places that I hunt has been pretty rewarding. Man, that is so cool. One, and life's all about these experiences that we can go have or go do. And to take yourself out of that comfort level can be tough. But I think that's where the most growth occurs. And so like like going back to your Africa hunt this year, it's going to be really fun to watch those trackers work. Like I've only heard about it and you've been over to Africa, you know, three, this is your fourth trip. I'm sure you've seen those guys work. But to tell you the truth, I am not that good at tracking. It's one of those skills that I just didn't really develop. I hunt Western game and I do a lot of spot and stalking. And oh. um, so, so, you know, yeah, I see tracks and yeah, I see, you know, a four inch track is a nice buck track and and sure i pay attention and i've even tracked you know elk in the snow and whatever but um those guys seem to be amazing with their tracking skill and then to be able to go over and experience that with them and learn from them and then take that back home like you did for trapping coyotes and and trapping up there in bc and bringing those skills back i just think that's amazing and i've i've definitely started to pay more attention as i've like the new habitat for me or the one – like I love traveling and hunting mule deer all over, but the desert habitat is like the last one that I have to really dial in. And and not – you know, I hunt a lot of desert places, but the the, the Sonoran Desert, the, the low desert flats, like that's new to me. And I've had to develop these tracking skills, and, and it paid huge dividends this year as I killed a 30-inch buck. But like it, oh, wow. they're, they're, um, their numbers – it, it's wild because there's so much country that doesn't hold a mule deer that their populations are centered around water sources and and they have their migrational roots and so like my my spot and stock skills like I, I was just in and up glassing a lot of empty country where the deer were not and I had to oh, develop yeah, I've been my, there before <laughs> yeah and so 
Like I had to develop these new skills that I didn't really use, and it was paying more attention to the tracks. It was walking around the water tanks, looking for tracks coming in and out. It was walking every wash that I came across, and through paying attention to more sign and more tracks, I was able to then grab vantage points in this game-rich country where I knew the animals were because I could see their tracks, and then I started turning up deer. And so it was really like a big key to my success is like paying more attention to the signs. So. I, I just uh, I thought of that as you were talking about BC and bringing those skills home, and then with you going to Africa, being able to learn from those trackers, man, those guys have to be amazing, huh? Oh my gosh, yeah. There, I've got you made me think of killing that that mule deer with my my muzzleloader again because the only reason why I, I dropped that pin was because of all the the sign and the tracks that I saw there. Um, so certainly, yeah, paying attention to that, uh, you know, as we evolve as hunters is it's not something that I really looked at, you know for the probably the first few years that I, that I started hunting. Um, but going back to those African, uh, trackers, we were after this in Yala, which is like in the spiral horns, it's the one, one step down from a kudu and like size. Um, and it's interesting because in Africa, they, they call an animal, a, uh, a bull or a ram. And in, and the, in Yala is the cutoff point. So in Yala is still a bull. Anything smaller than that is a ram. Uh, don't know why that is, but that's just a little uh, anecdote there. Uh, but we're tracking this in Yala, and it makes it into these these rocks. And dude, I mean, there's no way to see a track in the. It's just rocks, and and that's it. And there's no dirt or or mud or anything. I do not know how they found the, you know, how they determined where that in Yala went, because I couldn't see a damn thing other than just rocks everywhere. Uh, but they they it was amazing to watch them pick that apart and it wasn't a quick deal i mean it wasn't like they were just like boom there you know no it was uh they 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 broke it down uh, but eventually figured out where that anyala went and i was able to to uh make a good shot on it and uh it was a nice bull but yeah it was uh I, to this day i still have no idea like i couldn't understand what they were saying or how they were deciphering uh where that bull went but it was something to watch that's for sure wild yeah where it always brings it in the forefront of my mind is after you hit an animal and um being able to csi the the scene and be able to determine where that animal went and that is a real skill set you know and yeah. um to be able to not only follow blood but you know you lose blood or maybe they don't start bleeding for the first hundred yards or maybe they're running down a hill but it's like a combination of being able to read tracks and read blood and it's like the the moment you leave the blood trail and start making a grid pattern and start searching, your odds go way down of finding that animal, you know. Then you got to kind of oh, yeah. get lucky almost, you know, but – and there is and a time and a place for it. This wasn't shot, so that was the other – I mean, it, it was just like just tracking this perfectly that healthy animal like through the rocks. Like, man, pretty impressive, no oh, doubt about that. It's so impressive. They've been doing it their whole life. It They're better hunters than nature. me, that's for damn sure. Yeah, right? Uh, uh, like just that tracking skill. Yeah. They blow me away as well. Uh, I, I can't imagine. I've just heard stories like your story of tracking them through the rocks there. I can't imagine how they unfolded that scene to be able to tell where that Nyala went. You know, that's, that's just crazy. But yeah, I definitely realize that when I'm, when I'm blood track, trying to pay attention, not walk on track, see any little disturbance or broken branch, and then, you know, try yeah. to unravel the blood trail and, the moment you leave that, your odds go way down, and that blood trail leads to that animal if you can just keep on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Blood trailing's fun, though. I, and there's certainly an art to it, like you're saying. 
but it's like one of those things that I really enjoy um, trying to put that all back together. And you get better at it as you, you know, over time, the more you do it, certainly like anything else in life. Um, but like, the, you know, probably the first animal I ever shot with a bow, uh, I didn't really know what I was doing as far as tracking. And I don't think, I, I, I don't, I think that hunters make the mistake of new hunters of saying, well, I don't really know how to do this. Um, well, part of it is you just go do it, right? Uh, that's the best way to learn. And you might, and you're going to make mistakes along the way. Uh, but I, I think there's, there's nothing that can replace the actual, you can watch all the, the YouTube videos you want. And those are great, helpful. There's resources out there for that. But hands-on experience, living it is the best way to get better at it, to become more proficient at, you know, first of all, executing the shot, and secondly, deciphering or determining how to, to read a blood trail. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. It is experience is the best teacher, and we can definitely shorten that learning curve by knowing what to expect, but uh, nothing replaces that experience. But, uh, man, it has been uh, so fun to connect with you on the podcast. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I wish you good hunting there in, in Africa, and I'm a bit jealous, man. That is going to be so fun hunting those Cape Buffalo. So, yeah, uh, good luck getting that rifle all doped and, and getting over there and having a great experience and a great adventure. And um, congratulations on the show. Again, uh, podcast is um, Lone Star Outdoors. And, um, yeah, I, I just uh, I'm really glad that I got a chance to meet you and, and sit down and have a, a long-form conversation. Yeah, Brian, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. One thing you mentioned earlier was uh, Hawaii. I know we don't have time for that, but uh, I imagine you were hunting axis deer or sheep over there. And I, I, in another conversation and another day, I'd love to hear about that as well because that's something I certainly want to do. Oh, we have to. Yeah, I try to go out each and every year, so I'm going to try to make another trip out in June. I've made some really good oh, friends awesome. out there. Uh, yeah, I love hunting those mouflon sheep and then axis deer. I mean, they're right up there with uh, mule deer or elk. And I, again, we're going to make this conversation go way too long because we have so much in common. But uh, yeah, no, I love to Someday hunt those things. Gonna, maybe I'll have you on my show and we can talk about that. So I'd love to. Uh, love yeah, to let's, let's keep in touch. And uh, thanks again, Cable. I appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Brian. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Fun conversation with Cable. It's uh, fun to get to know him on the podcast like that. And like I say, just a huge advocate for us hunters, huge advocate for us gun owners, and, and just a great overall guy. So um, fun conversation, fun to talk about some of that African hunting and tracking and uh, you know some of those skill sets that, that us Western hunters don't think about all the time. But uh, like I was saying, hunting that desert terrain, it, it's really made me aware of it and uh, tried to improve that part of my game. So, man, it's like Western hunting. We're always trying to evolve and get better and improve uh, improve our skill set just so we come into these hunts as prepared as we can be and give ourselves the best chance at success. So uh, really fun to connect with him and have a conversation. And uh, you guys will have to check out his social media. He ended up taking um, a great Cape Buffalo there in Africa. Uh, just sounded like an absolute riot. So make sure to check him out and his podcast, Lone Star Outdoors. I also want to thank our sponsors for today's show. So I want to thank Zamberlin Boots. Uh, again, they've got that that new 215 Salute GTX RR that I'm just super impressed with. Uh, it's like a it's it's hunting in a shoe, under two pounds, totally waterproof, Vibram soles, great grip, 
just a great hiking shoe. So um, so stoked about those things, and 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 so uh, happy to to have Zamberlin on board as a sponsor. Uh, I also want to thank Black Rifle Coffee Company, a new sponsor to Eastman's Elevated. Thanks to those guys for their support. Uh, talking a veteran-owned company, uh, veteran employees, and, and they just make the best coffee in the market. The instant and the coffee bags are unreal for hunting season. And, and then when I'm here at the house, I've got a new subscription to their coffee. Uh, Going to try some dark roast, light roast, but um, just such high quality. So make sure to check out those guys, Black Rifle Coffee Company. And, um, man, with that, yeah, just getting ready for bear season here. It's going to be fun. And getting in that training, too, just um, keeping my head down, getting in those runs, shooting my bow, really trying to improve my skill set to give myself the best chances at success this season. And then just applying for these tags all throughout the West, trying to draw some cool hunts and cool tags and opportunities. And so, um, man, it's super fun. Time is flying by. It's going to be here before we know it. Uh, excited to get after these bears with bow and arrow, uh, see if I can't chase down a big boar and, and just have fun with some buddies and, and, uh, be back in the woods enjoying myself. So super excited for that. And then getting really excited for the fall. So there hasn't been many draws come out yet. I know Arizona elk came out. I blanked on that one. Um, so I'm sure there'll be plenty of blanks this year, but I'm hoping there's a, a couple lucky draws in my future and, and, uh, draw some good adventures here. So, I'm sure you guys uh, uh, keep working on your game, man. Hunting season's coming, and and this is the time to improve your skill set. So, uh, man, so fun. I think I'm going to get solo podcast recorded here and just kind of talk over bear season and what I'm working on and and, um, plans for the future and things of that nature. So uh, like a typical solo podcast. So uh, I'll get that ready to go and release that next week, and uh, we'll do it as a bonus episode. So I'll actually release two episodes next week. So I'll get that done and and uh, ready to get out, and then we've got some great podcasts coming up. I'm so excited about some of these guests and recordings that I'm sitting on and that some that I have lined up to record. So uh, should be some great content for spring and summer and um, get you ready for fall hunting season. So thanks to you guys for all the support. Man, it all helps. The, uh, the follow and support on social media, uh, the... The, the reviews and subscribing, you know, to the podcast, um, it, it all helps me out and I really appreciate it. So thanks to you guys for all your support and, um, yeah, with that, check in with you guys next week.